Welcome and thanks for joining us today on the Abundance Podcast. Well, we'll go ahead and get started in prayer. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the plans that you have for us, Lord. And I just thank you that your word brings light into the things that, you know, may or may not be true that we believe, Lord. So I just thank you. And I just uh, pray that this word will go forth and accomplish what it was meant to do. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to start part six of this series entitled Scripture Supporting God's Sovereignty. And we're going to discuss some of the verses used to support the idea that God is in total control of everything that happens. Or a little bit lighter version of that would be that God allows everything to happen that happens, good or bad. So this particular episode is entitled, Tribulation Produces Perseverance. And that wording is taken from Romans 5, 3-4. We'll also be looking at James 1, uh, where it talks about counting it all joy when we have stuff that comes against us because the testing of our faith produces patience. But real quick here first, before we get into this, you know how when someone ODs on a drug, or you know maybe there's some other medical thing, but that's what comes to mind is when someone ODs on a drug, there's this type of shot that you can go directly into the heart and, and it kickstarts your heart and snaps it back into coming alive. You know, I don't know the technical terminology, but you know, hopefully you get the gist of what I'm saying. To get started here, this is what I really want to do. I want to share one scripture that's just going to kind of be like that shot to the heart of this extreme sovereignty of God. And that is James 1.13. It says, Let no one <laughs> say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. <laughs> now, there's probably a lot of us that have been going to church for years and probably never heard that, never read it. Even though it's right there in the Bible. It's James 1.13. Again, I'm going to read it again. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Don't say that. Okay, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. He is not the one that does the tempting. Okay, so anyways, let's keep that in mind as we we continue on in this series. But to kick things off here, I'd like to share a scripture that we may believe intellectually, but then when something bad happens in our life, its message goes out the window and God somehow gets blamed for what's happened. Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So I'd like to point out that it says the purpose of scripture is to bring us patience, comfort, and hope. So in relation to the sovereignty of God, what will bring us patience, comfort, and hope? It's when we believe the truth that he's first in rank, that he's above all, he's supreme, he's independent, he knows the end from the beginning. He's all-knowing. Yes, absolutely, those definitions of how God is sovereign will bring us patience, comfort, and hope. Absolutely. Now, on the flip side of that, what will not bring us patience, comfort, and hope? And again, because this is what the purpose of the Word is. It's the purpose of the Bible. These things will not bring us patience, comfort, and hope. That there's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. That God has no limitations. Everything that happens is God's will. That all things happen for a reason. That God is allowing everything to happen that happens. That God across the board controls everything. God is in total and complete control. Because if you believe those things are, are true, then that would mean that God is responsible for every murder, every rape, plane crash, 
every sick and disgusting thing that's ever happened in, in this world. That would mean that he's, God is responsible for it. Now, Christians won't say that because there is a true reverence and love for God. But make no mistake about it. If you boil down this doctrine, this extreme sovereignty of God doctrine, that's exactly what you're believing. If you believe that God controls every single thing that happened. So what I'd like to do here before we get too far into it is, is I'd like to start things off by talking about trust. And, and what I'm talking about is as in trusting God. Okay. I believe it goes hand in hand as we discuss the sovereignty of God. So when something terrible happens to someone, something that typically gets said is, well, I know this is a terrible event, but what you just need to do is just to trust God. And, and that's what typically gets said. And the scripture that's fairly regularly used is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And that scripture is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And I love that scripture. But the way that that verse gets interpreted is basically saying that God knew that this would happen. He knew that this terrible event would happen in your life, which he did. He, he is all-knowing. But then what gets added to that is, he either caused it to happen or he, quote unquote, allowed it to happen. You know, he didn't stop it, so he allowed it. <laughs> and that is completely, utterly untrue. Okay. I've said this a lot. God has given us authority, and I'm not going to get into that because what we're talking about here is trust. Let's go to Luke 6. Luke 6, 29. It'll be in the tail end of that verse. And this is Jesus speaking. And it says, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. <laughs> so you might be thinking, what in the heck are you talking about? Why, why are you bringing that up while we're talking about the sovereignty of God? Well, I've heard that scripture a bunch of times growing up in church, okay? It was pretty much as common as like, you know, turning the other cheek. If someone hits you, you know, don't hit them back. Turn your cheek so they can hit the other one, you know. Or if you continue reading in Luke 6, uh, in actually verse 31, it says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. You know, and, and that sounds to me like the golden rule. Uh, I don't know if that's the exact verse where, where that golden rule comes from, but it, it's pretty close if it's not. But anyways, it was quite common to hear if someone takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. You know, I just, that's just kind of a church phrase. And, well, excuse me. It's the Bible. I don't want to make it sound like it's worthless or something like that. But for me... You know what? I didn't have any revelation about that verse. So for me, it, it didn't really mean much. You know, I, I, you know, I wanted to know what it was, but I didn't have any revelation, uh, revelation about it. But then a couple of months ago, it just kind of hit me. And it was cool because I wasn't reading the Bible or anything like that at the time. I'm just spending time with Jesus. I'm thinking about the Lord. I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to gas myself up or anything like that, but my brain a lot of times is just thinking about the Bible and stuff. And I'm I, I'm fortunate I work at a job where sometimes, you know, I'm doing some things where I can, my mind can be wandering and be thinking about uh, scripture or things I'm doing and da 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 da. And it's not necessarily, they're kind of more like task things, if you will. Um, I wasn't really thinking about anything in particular, I guess, if you will. Uh, but all of a sudden, this hit me what this meant. What I felt the Lord showed me was that in relation to this verse was that if you truly trusted God, and someone took something from you, you know, like this, in this situation, like a cloak, then why would you ever be concerned about losing it? So what I'm saying is, if you know God has promised to provide for every one of your needs, then if someone took something from you, 
you wouldn't need to get all worked up about losing it because you truly trust God that he'll always provide for you what you need when you need it. You know, is there anything wrong with a savings account or money in the bank? No, but I mean, some of us are so worked up over, let's just, you know, I'm just using the example of finances, but we're so worked up over not having a bunch of money in the bank, but you're not even needing to spend it on anything. You know, you don't have a bill that you have to pay it. You know, when the bill is due, God provides a way. And yeah, God absolutely makes cushion and and helps us, gives us the ability to get wealth and gives us great ideas so that we can provide for our family and our the next generation and, and so that we can give into others. You know, he gives us money so that we can give it to someone else and, and he gives us more than enough. You know, absolutely. But all I'm trying to say is like, we can get so worked up over stuff just, and I'm trying to use just a natural example. Let's say an example where we know that we're going to get paid in two days and the bill is due in three days. We can get all upset over not having that money to pay that bill in three days when, you know, the hundred dollars that is going to be owed on the bill, we're going to make that money in two days. You know what I mean? We can get all worked up over it. So that's just a, a regular thing let alone the thing where it's got to be God supernaturally providing for us. We're like, you know, you've got a bill and you're just going to trust God that he's going to provide for you. You're doing everything you can. You're working a job. You know, you're being, you know, you're just, you're not going out buying, this is 2021. You're not going out and buying a 2021, you know, truck or elaborately spending money that you don't have. You're being a good steward of your money and you can, There's nothing wrong with buying a brand new truck. That's not what I'm getting at. But all I'm trying to say is you're a good steward of your money. You've got a bill that's due and it's got to come by a supernatural means, you know. So you're just believing God that he is faithful and he will provide for you because you're being faithful. You're tithing, you're giving, you know, you're doing all the things that you know that you feel God is leading you to do. And so you're just trusting him. And then all of a sudden the bill's due in three days Two days from now, someone walks up to you and say, hey, I just I just felt like the Lord wanted me to give you this $100. And here it is. You know, God can do also. I've had lots of things like that happen in my life. So all I'm trying to say is if somebody took something from us, if we truly trusted that God will always provide for us, then we wouldn't have to get all worked up over, over someone stealing from us. And why is that? Because we know that we know that we know that God will get another, you know, cloak as like we're, this scripture is talking about or a tunic to us. So on the topic of trust, do I really trust that God will provide for my every need? And we're going to make the connection here that not only is it his desire to provide for your needs like food, clothes, etc., stuff like that, he'll also provide everything you'll ever need to get through all the junk that this life has to throw at you. Here's a scripture you may have heard. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What gets said about this verse is that God is the one responsible for bringing temptation into your life. But he just won't bring too much in before you fall apart. You know, no. That interpretation of that verse is absolutely false. If that were true, wouldn't we have to ask the question that if God's the one responsible for the temptation and it says he won't bring more on us than what we can bear, then how come some people have completely fallen apart to the point of suicide 
or being put in a mental hospital or whatever the case may be, and some people bounce back. You know, why would that be? So let's go over it from the beginning. This scripture starts off by saying, no matter the situation we face, someone else in the history of mankind has gone through the same type of situation. It said, no temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. And with that, some have responded worse off and some better. Here's a really key phrase. It's not what we're going through that's the issue. The issue is how we respond to what we're going through. So what is that describing? Well, it's describing accountability. And nowadays in this culture, it's almost like a cuss word. In this culture, it's always someone else's fault. (laughs) It's because of my genetics. It's because of what I've gone through in my life. I have no choice. I can't help it, you know, and that is absolutely wrong. If you believe the Bible, that is. The rest of this verse says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what we need to recognize is that nowhere in this verse is it attributing the temptations we face as from being from God. And I'm going to say that again, just in case the dog barked or the kids started yelling and, and you happen to miss it. Nowhere in this verse does it attribute the temptations we face as from being from God. It doesn't say that. We know that we'll all face temptations and trials, and, and Jesus told us that. And he also said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Okay, But we know we'll face temptation and trials. This verse is saying that when the temptations come, that he also made a way of escape. And that's the key phrase a way of escape. He doesn't want you to fall apart and be defeated. So in any and all terrible situations we face, God has a plan of escape for us. We just have to choose whether or not to take it. It's our choice. Now, what I'm not saying is that going through challenges is easy. You know, absolutely not. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Okay. The death of a loved one, that's real. Okay. Sickness and pain in our bodies that people have been dealing with for years, that that is real, okay? Terrible events that happen in our lives or our loved ones, things out of our control, things we had nothing to do with, you know, those things are real, okay? None of that is easy. But when we hear the truth, the idea is for it to bring hope, okay? And and, and what's the Bible definition of hope? It's it's an expectation of good things to come. Why? Because first, we learn that these events aren't from God. That's why this sovereignty of God is so important. We have to learn that they're not from God. And next, we learn that through Jesus, our circumstances can change, okay? They don't have to stay the same the rest of our life or get worse. In Jesus, and if you've believed in Jesus, you're in him, he's in you, okay? In him, they can change. Our job is to receive them. So again, I'm not saying it's easy to go through the challenge that this life has to throw at us. That being said, okay, please don't cut me off here. Listen to what I'm trying to say. I do believe that in order to choose the way of escape, that God is, you know, like that scripture verse just said, that God has made available to us, it is quote unquote simple, okay? And what I mean by that is that God's not asking us to do X and then Y and then Z in order for us to qualify for him to help us, okay? He's not asking us to do anything. He's not asking us to earn it. Actually, when we try to earn it, it actually holds back the breakthrough. 
you and I will never, <laughs> never earn anything from God. God has already done everything. Our job is to receive it. So let's bring this back around to trust. Our job is to trust God in that what Jesus did was more than enough, that he's already made everything available to us. So let's take a look at the first chapter of James. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, pretty much since the beginning of this series, I knew that I was going to cover these verses at some point, but I just chose to do it later on in the series. So it was like a Saturday night when I began to go back over these verses. And the uh, next day, which was Sunday, I go to church and then my pastor, you know, shares his message. And several of the verses that I'm using today were in his message. You know, then within a couple days, in the mornings when I get ready for work, I turn a pastor on that is on the TV and I listen to him. Well, he actually used some of the same verses as well. Then at work the next day, you know, like I typically do, I'll listen to something while I'm doing some of the work I'm doing. And uh, I had this message on there that I couldn't remember if I had already listened to it the week before or if I had stopped it and, and didn't listen to it. Well, anyways, I was just like, well, I'll just listen to it again. It doesn't matter if I've heard it already. I'll listen to it again. And uh, within like the first 10 minutes, the same verses were being used again. So it was just a pretty cool little confirmation that I was moving in the right direction. <laughs> but also... It seems like since I've been going over these scriptures that the enemy has been trying to work overtime to mess up my thinking and my health. You know, as I sit here, I'm declaring I'm healed from a flu-like symptoms. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. And actually, it's kind of comical. Yesterday, I tried to reach down just to get into the drawer and, and pull out a napkin for my kid who was eating her lunch. And all of a sudden, I had this huge shooting pain go through my back and my side. <laughs> I was thinking, what in the world? So, But also, you know, the enemy's been trying to put a rift in my marriage. You know, and, and I'm not saying anything super, super crazy, but just differences on how we view things as you're living with a different individual. You know, my wife and I are not the same person, so we view things from different standpoints. You know, what was uh, one guy says, you know, women see things in pink and, or no, they hear things in pink and, and guys hear things in blue or, you know, you get the gist of what I'm saying. But you have just different perspective on things. And, and so it's, it's, a, uh, it's a privilege. But there are also are some challenges to come together and talk about those things and be unified with the way. So anyways, the devil's been trying to mess with, you know, my head and my wife's head and, and trying to get us messed up. And, and all that is on the, the verge of just being days away from our six-year anniversary. So and top all that off. Our kids have been about as challenging as they've ever been in the last uh, week or so with their attitudes and all that. And, and the funny thing is, our oldest is only four. So just just a bunch of stuff that uh, has been coming against me personally. Now, let me be clear. I'm not attributing every challenge to the enemy. Some has to do with my choices, okay? You know, we can't always blame someone else, even when it's the devil, Okay, the devil isn't responsible for everything that happens. There's not a demon underneath every rock. Okay, sometimes it's choices that we've made that are the reason why things are the way they are. But make no mistake about it, God has a way of escape. But also, let me be clear God is not the one responsible for any of it. 
But when you get a hold of what we're talking about today, you can actually get excited about the junk being thrown at you. Because the way I'm looking at it is, you know, the devil must have finally thought that I was worth the time, worth the threat to trying to mess with me. And I'm not trying to think more highly of myself than I should. I'm just saying that, you know what? The devil doesn't have to mess with us all. I mean, why would he? We ain't doing nothing for God. And and I'm not trying to say that I'm, I have arrived or anything like that. But that's just the way I'm looking at it is, you know what? <laughs> the devil must have finally thought, well, I, I probably should mess with him a little bit. Because you know what? I just need to get him off course. But it's not working because I know the truth of the word. What I mean is... In the last eight months or so that I've been doing this podcast, you know, yeah, there's been stuff. There's always stuff that comes up that you got to choose to have a good attitude, choose to trust God. Um, But it just feels like lately, you know, that the pressure's kind of been turned up. But praise God, he's already given all of us everything we need to come out on the other end of all this junk, stronger and more confident in his faithfulness. And, And I'm not talking about our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. Now, I also want to note that I know that some of the things I just listed off would be a cakewalk for some of the challenges coming towards some of you. But all I'm trying to do is just share with you, you know, that I'm not sitting here saying all this stuff and then my life is always just <laughs> peaches and cream, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it is. I, I know that God is for me and doesn't matter what I face, it's all good, you know what I mean? And anything that's bad, God's going to turn it for the good. Why? Because I'm running after him. I'm not going to run away from him. And that's my declaration of faith. I'm choosing to run after him. But all I'm trying to do is just share with you, you know, we've all got stuff. But where's our focus at? Are we looking at Jesus or are we looking at our stuff? So back to James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your patience, excuse me, the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now these scriptures have been used to try and say that God is the one that sovereignly brings about trials in our lives. And not only that, but that he sends them to us, you know, quote unquote, to perfect us, you know, like that verse says. That he wants us to go through a bunch of junk because he's trying to get us to the point of becoming patient. Now the problem with that line of thinking is that if you believe that to be true, it causes born-again believers to become passive and not fight against the schemes of the devil. But also, Romans 15.4 told us that the purpose of the scriptures was to bring about patience. That's what we keep seeing here is patience and then comfort and hope. So how could anyone exercise patience, comfort, or hope if they truly thought God was the one trying to destroy them? This totally misrepresents God. Like he's getting some kind of sick kick out of watching us go through these hurts and pains. Now, if we're talking about patience, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, you know, kindness, good, you know, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're a born-again believer, you already, I'm talking about past tense, you already have been given the fruit of the Spirit. So we're not trying to get God to give it to us when the junk comes our way. The issue is we don't always exercise it. Just like a muscle. If it's not exercised, if you never work it out, it won't grow. And actually, it'll probably get weaker. So when a trouble comes, we're to exercise your patience. Okay, you already have it. Now what's another word for faith? You know, like what we just read, that the testing of your faith produces patience. Well, 
Another word for faith is, is trust. And what does faith or trust, what does it produce? Or another way of saying it is, what does it develop? Well, it develops patience. So back to trust or, or faith. You know, we're talking about trust though. If we truly trust God, that he'll work all things of good because we love him and we're truly attempting to line our life up with his plan for our lives, then being patient throughout whatever we're going through has a better chance of being exercised because we truly trust him. Why? Because since we truly trust him, it doesn't really matter how long we have to wait because in the end, we know that we know that we know the end result will be good. Okay? Not bad. The end result will be good. And again, nowhere in there did I say that it would be easy. Okay? While we're being patient, I'm not talking about easy. I'm not using the word easy. Remember, like I said before, it really is simple, meaning it isn't a complicated process. But just because it's a simple process doesn't mean that when you're in the heat of a trial that it'll necessarily be, quote unquote, easy to keep trusting in God. It's almost like this is what you do between the standing and the standing. Ephesians talks about the armor of God. Okay, Ephesians 6, 13 through the first part of verse 14. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Okay, an evil day. That's junk coming your way. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So basically it's just saying, so once you've done all you can to stand, keep on standing. You know, don't begin to trust God. And then when some time goes by, then decide to let up on that trust, you know, keep trusting. You know, if we use the the metaphor of like a football game, you start the game, you got your players on the field. Then when it gets tight into the last couple minutes of the fourth quarter, you know, don't take your players off the field. Or, or at the least, don't take your good players off the field. Keep your good players on the field. You know, keep your faith in the game. Keep your trust in the game. Sometimes when we're going through a challenge in life, there's the potential for us to begin looking for a really deep answer. And I'm not saying this happens all the time, but maybe what we need to be asking ourselves is, do I really trust God? Okay? We don't always need a deep answer. <laughs> do I really trust God? Do I really believe that God loves me too much for this to keep in my life? Now, anyone can go through the motions and say that they're trusting God, but in their heart and in their thought process, not be living it out. And that goes for me too. You know, when we reach the point of truly trusting God, we'll reach a point of rest. Now, when I say the word rest, resting does not mean inactivity, okay? even while we're in the position of quote-unquote resting, we'll still have to be doing things. We'll still have to be confessing that by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. And I'm doing that right now. I've been doing that nonstop for a week. And I am healed. And you may not understand what I'm saying, but I'm healed. (laughs) And as he is, so am I in this world. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and never beneath. I have been set free from the curse of the law by faith in Jesus Christ. And included in the curse of the law is sickness and disease and anxiety and whatever else that even a non-believer would recognize isn't a good thing, okay? I am whole. So resting in him doesn't mean inactivity. It just means I've stopped striving to try and get God to move. I've stopped trying to get God to move because of what I've done. I don't believe I can earn it. I've just rested and I'm, and I'm choosing to receive it because I know it comes from him. So resting in him doesn't mean inactivity. 
Okay, it just means I stopped striving to try and get God to move. So do I really trust God to the point where I cease from striving? So when we find ourselves in a situation where we have to, you know, quote unquote, exercise our trust or faith, going back to the example where if someone takes something from us, you know, like the cloak and the tunic, it's no big deal because we truly trust that God will meet every need we have and restore to us everything we need when we need it. Then because you know that God will work all things to the good, again, patiently waiting for that to come to pass isn't an issue. You're not striving or pressing in to be patient. Patience is automatic because you know that you know that you know that God will supply every need and that he's got your back. Now again, that's not saying when we're in a trial that it's just easy to exercise the patience we've already been given. It'll be a daily or even an every other second type of battle. Okay, to keep your thoughts focused on the pure and the good and the lovely. What's the world use as an expression? You know, the glass half full, glass half empty. What's your perspective? What are you keeping your eyes on? Are you keeping it on your problems or are you keeping it on Jesus? Again, not easy, but it is a simple process. So no doubt that can be a challenge. That's where the battle is. It's between our two ears. It's in our minds. The enemy will try to flood us with the thought that there is no hope, you know, nothing will ever change, that it'll always be the same, that your life will be a downward spiral, and ultimately, if you boil it down, it all comes back to the fear of death. And you may disagree with that, and I'm not going to try to defend that today, but that's what I believe the Bible says, is that if we keep boiling it down, any type of fear that we have, I believe it will always end up coming back to being rooted in the fear of death. Now, Let's go back over James 1-2. I know this is the third time I've said it, but we're going to look at it from a little bit different angle. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So what does it mean to count it all joy? You know, what is joy? You know, joy, the definition of joy is a, a cheerfulness, a delight, gladness. Uh, the dictionary defines it as the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying keen pleasure or elation. Okay. So wait a minute. <laughs> You're telling me that we're to be cheerful, delighted, which is having a great pleasure or enjoyment. And we're supposed to be glad when we have trials and tribulation come against us. And the, I know this, this isn't always the thing we want to hear, but the answer is yes. You know, what is, what does the world tell us to do when we face junk and stuff's hitting the fan against us? The world tells us to sulk in it, to complain about it, to even for Christians, to call up five, six, seven, eight people and tell them how bad you got it. But are we to count it all joy when we have junk coming against us? The answer is yes. So how could we do that? First, it's a choice, okay? It's probably a choice that we need to make ahead of time before the storms of life come our way, okay? So an example of what I'm trying to talk about is like, you know, if you were out on a boat and water starts to come into the boat. It's a lot easier to keep the boat afloat when we already know where the bucket is to collect the water and throw it out. You know, if we didn't know where it was and we had to search every compartment or drawer in the boat to find a bucket, you know, once the boat is already filling up, by the time we find it, it may be too late. The boat might have too much water to where you can't get it out and you're going to sink. Okay. Not for us, but just for the metaphor of the boat. Now, what I'm not saying is that we should try to anticipate what kinds of storms are going to come our way. 
you know, that, that would really get us into a ditch. Okay. So don't try to anticipate all the storms. All I'm trying to say is it's important that we make up our mind ahead of time that when the storms of life come our way, and I'll be honest, sometimes when the storms of life come my way, it's not my first thought. You know, there are some times where it is my first thought. You know, I, I mentioned how I leaned down to get that napkin out of the drawer and that shot of pain come through my side and onto my hip and all that, my back. The first words out of my mouth, I mean, it was instantly, by your stripes, I'm healed. You know, I couldn't even talk. I mean, it was it was tough. It hurt to even talk. I mean, I, I and it's still, I mean, I'm just telling you in the natural right now, It's it's been a day, my back still hurts, okay, but I'm healed. But anyways, when that happened, I mean, it was a, it was a, it hurt. Okay. And it still hurts, but I'm healed. All right. But that was my first response is as soon as it happened by your stripes, I'm healed. You know, you know, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath sickness. Get out of my body, back pain, leave my body right now. And that was, you know, that was my instant response. But at the same time, I've had other times when things have happened and it's taken me some time, you know, I did I mean, maybe sometimes it was about 60 seconds. Sometimes it was a couple hours. Maybe sometimes it was a day, you know, I, I don't know. But there have been times where things have come my way and I haven't always responded back with the word like I know I should have. But God's not mad at me, you know, it's all good. And if you don't remember when stump, stuff comes your way, and you don't respond with the word of God right away. Maybe it's a week. You know, maybe it's a month. You know, God's not mad at you, but we can turn to him because like that verse says, he's made a way of escape. So we have to choose to seek after God. And through that relationship with him, the more conscious we are of God, the better relationship we have with him, we're able to sense his leading and we can be led to go in that direction of that way of escape. But I'm saying all this to say, is that sometimes when we get into a situation, if I'm really honest with you, when really bad stuff happens, the temptation can come in your mind to think, well, that's just Bible stuff and this is real life, okay? People who don't understand the Bible, that's kind of their logic is, you know, that's, that's, that's just Bible stuff. I want real life. I want real scenarios. You know, let's say you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a terrible report. It's very possible for the word of God to just sound like some fairy tales and some whatever because you're dealing with real life stuff. It's really easy for the word of God to make more sense when everything is going good. But when something really happens, and I don't know if I don't know if I'm able to articulate this very well. I hope some of you may be getting what I'm saying. But I've found that when real life stuff happens, even for me, I believe this stuff. I I I'm not trying to build myself up, but I'm just saying I, I try to spend time in the Word every single day. I love Jesus. I've seen Him do amazing things in my life. I've seen Him do amazing things in the people around me that He's gotten to use me. I know, you know, I know He's got, I know a lot of Scripture, but when I've gotten into a situation, the enemy tries to make me think that all of this is just some fairy tale type stuff and I need to really focus on what the natural is telling me. And I don't know if I'm getting that out right, but I'm, I'm we're just going to keep on moving. Now we'll go ahead and we're going to move on to James 1 verse 12 and we're going to read verses 12 through 18. And actually verse 13 was what we read to start this. But James 1:12 through 18 says, "Blessed is the man 
who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here it is, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he, talking about you and I, is drawn away by his own desires, still you and I, and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So let's break this down a little bit so we don't miss what it's saying. It starts off by saying, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, here's something that's really important. None of that verse is saying that the temptation is actually from God. It's just saying that if we endure the temptation, we are a blessed man or woman. It almost makes it sound like we have a choice with whether or not we choose to endure the temptation or give into it. But I thought the extreme sovereignty of God says that God's will always comes to pass. That everything that happens is God's will, good or bad. Well, that's the problem with this extreme sovereignty of God. Verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. I'm trying to say this with grace and mercy and kindness and compassion, but God doesn't tempt anyone. <laughs> that's awesome. And I really hope that we can receive that rather than being offended at what I just said, even though it's not me, it's the word. I'm just reading it. God is not the one that tempts anyone. That should bring us comfort. Well, like that verse said, patience, comfort, and hope. When we know that God does not tempt anyone, the junk that's coming in my life is not from God. That brings us comfort, patience, and hope. That's good. Now, verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But here's a question. How could we be drawn away, like this verse says, by our own desires if everything that happens is God's will? When it says his own desires, it almost makes it sound like it's our will. <laughs> verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift, okay, every good and perfect gift is from above, talking about from God, okay, and comes down from above and comes down to the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, and we're talking about God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So this verse points out that it's the word of truth that brings us forth or develops us into the kind of first fruits. John 15.3 says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So it is the word, it is the Bible that makes us clean or changes us. It develops us. It's not the tribulation. Let me say that again. It's the Bible that changes and develops us. Okay, 
It's not the tribulation. It's not the junk in our life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's scripture or the word that makes us complete and thoroughly equips us. It doesn't come from tribulation, okay? Because tribulation is not from God. What's John 10.10 says, The thief who is Satan does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Now, after all that, it kind of seems silly to bring up the scripture that's been used to try and support the extreme sovereignty of God. But we'll go ahead and look at it. Romans 5, 3-4. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So this verse is another verse that's been used to try and say that God is the one responsible for bringing tribulation and junk into our lives. And that God puts these hardships and trials and sicknesses on our bodies and all the terrible events in the world like people being raped and murdered and assaulted, so on and so forth, that God did that ultimately to produce perseverance and then character and then hope. <laughs> That's absolutely false. That's it's terrible. That's a terrible interpretation of what this this is. And I'm not fussing with you. I've I read that and I thought that was true. Okay, but I'm I'm just getting fired up because I know that that's a lie. Okay, it's just the word is true. That scripture is true, but that interpretation is incorrect. Okay, the King James version, and I and I use the New King James, but the the King James version, in place of the word perseverance. It uses the word patience. That tribulation produces patience. Okay. Well, we know that it can't be saying that anyone who goes through tribulation automatically becomes patient because not everybody is patient. Okay. If problems were what perfected us, then most Christians would have been perfected a long time ago. And on that note, that would mean that even non-believers who go through tribulation, even though they don't have Jesus, would at the end of the tribulation become patient. And that's clearly not true. But as we're discussing the sovereignty of God, it's important to recognize that tribulations and adversities are not blessings from God. They're attacks from the enemy intended to steal away the word of God from our lives. So what's the parable of the sower and the seed tell us in Mark chapter 4? Verse 17 in the latter part of that verse says, Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Okay? So tribulations and persecutions arise for the word's sake. They come to steal away the word of God that's been planted in your heart. Also in the King James Version, it says when tribulation comes, worketh patience. Okay? And, and what's a better, you know, what's another way I would say that? Put patience to work. Okay? Another way that I like to say it is to employ patience, okay? When tribulation comes, stay consistent, stay the same, continue on by employing patience. Put it to work. Now, producing doesn't mean to make, okay? You and I can't make anything happen. We're to work with it, we're to exercise it, we're to use it. We're working, exercising, and using what we've been given by faith in Jesus, so again, this verse is not saying that God is the one who allows 
or approves or wills for tribulations and hardships to come into our lives. But the word does say in John 16, 33, and this is Jesus speaking, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be good cheer. I have overcome the world. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on the Abundance Podcast.